Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics and get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are Catherine Lindquist, Troy Sandlin, and John Christian. How's Hello. everybody doing? Sweet. Doing good. Hey, hey, hey. Good. So, we had a wonderful episode last week chatting with Patrick from 307 RPG, and eventually we're going to do part two of that. But we had, John had a really cool idea. And in fact, I'm going to have him lead our main topic for today because we were oh, really you. excited about it. Um, it's a fun topic, something that we really haven't covered at all. Um, and we're excited to get into that. But beforehand, we have our community pulse, our dessert round. We are about to fill ourselves up on sweet treats. Um, so we have one each, I think is what we're looking at. And uh, let's start with... ooh. I think this is John with a Kickstarter. Is that right? Uh, uh, no. That's Troy. Okay. Yeah, that's that's me. All right. Troy. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, p- pitch us, pitch us <laughs> thousand-year-old vampire. Well, actually, this Kickstarter is done. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can order it mm-hmm. from, from the, uh, the, uh, the link. Uh, thousand-year-old vampire, a role-playing game. This is a solo role-playing game. About the remorseless crush of memory over millennia and vampires. Uh, I I just I, I listened to this on on uh, a podcast the other day, um, and it just it struck me as very very unique. It mm. is a journal, and mm. uh, I haven't seen the book. I'm gonna go. I probably will go ahead and order this because it just sounds so interesting but it's a very cool looking journal and there's writing prompts within this book because you are playing the thousand year old vampire Hmm. and you're the gist of it is you're supposed to you know you read the writing prompt and you're supposed to give like a quick one or two sentence response to it Hmm. um if you don't write about a memory if you don't log it you will lose that memory and you cannot utilize that going forward kind of a thing and they did say in the interview uh that this is a very dark game you're playing a vampire obviously you know and it's over a thousand years and things are like uh you have attracted the attention of a mortal what is their name do they travel with you how long do they live with you you know that kind of thing uh what friends did you lose in this era you know that you know just all kinds of very interesting and they even discussed is this actually a role-playing game or is this a writing exercise mm-hmm. and Sounds like uh, the... it, 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 it's a bit of both really it, it, I mean, when it comes down to it from what they're saying you know it's, it's a bit of both and uh one of one of the uh interviewers and in the discussion panel they were talking about how you know the, these questions are just within these writing prompts are just awesome. And from what they're talking about, I think they might try and do like a science fiction version, maybe a fantasy adventure version, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but they were talking about that would be really cool. And it sounds really cool. But yeah, a thousand year old vampire as created by Tim Hutchings. And you can order it right there from their, uh, from the uh, Kickstarter page. It's still there. 
Very cool. It's really yeah, interesting. It. Yeah, it, it it more than funded, obviously. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It made about thirty seven thousand dollars, which is excellent. Ooh. So good for him. Um, that's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, uh, actually, here's um, a couple exa- of examples. Uh, you and an ancient enemy uh, character connect over your shared past, finding it something more comprehensible than this modern world. Check a skill. You become friends, share a resource, have a resource shared with you. You know, then write about it. You mm. and your friend retire to a hidden place. There you share real pleasure. Create a skill about feeling safe or a shill and write about it. And mm. so it's like not your not your normal writing prompts. Yeah. Uh, suffice yeah. it to say. But yeah, I thought it'd be kind of interesting cool. to, to, to check out. Yeah, your new friends became a source of food. Create a resource that reflects this. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, I bet Katie would absolutely love this. I think so. You should tell her about it. Yep, yep. This is a Katie product. Okay. Uh, very cool. Um, I'll piggyback on that. I don't know that this is necessarily... It does have to do with vampires. What do you know? We have two vampire products <laughs> in what? one episode. Um, I'm going to talk to you all a little bit about... Occult Secrets of the Underworld. Um, this is by AAW Games. And I picked this up on a whim. Found it at one of my local um, FLGs. And um, I am not sure what I think about this one. So, uh, you know, typically we come here and we tout things, right? Um And this one, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious with my promotions of it. Um, I did not find this one to be as um, succulent. Um, So take this with a (laughs) grain of salt. Uh, This is a follow-up to the Underworld Races and Classes. Um, which is, is a book that I do not have, but I think is a book worth having. It's uh, by AAW Games as well. Um, and uh, it was successfully funded on Kickstarter and did really well. Um, Occult Secrets of the Underworld was a stretch goal that was not unlocked for that first Kickstarter. So it had its own Kickstarter. Um, and it did very well in its own Kickstarter, making about $12,000. Um, I picked it up knowing that pedigree and saying, you know what, I'd like to see what they got a second chance at. Um, I think this book suffers from the fact that it, you really need the other one to mm. like, to get into this one. Mm. Um, and it doesn't make that clear. So um, that's my fault for not picking up underworld races and classes first, which is a huge book. It's like 200 pages of player options. Um, this book is kind of a follow-up to that. that talks about the occult and, if you buy this book on its own, you're going to be lost uh, because a lot of it references races from the other book or classes from the other book or all of these things. Um, it's very much a supplementary product, a side product, and it's not a product that stands alone. That being said, um, it has gorgeous art. It has a lot of flavor text written in, and I think that the ideas are cool. I just would recommend that people avoid this unless they have underworld races classes as well 
but just a quick review, because I think this book, I've been seeing it at several of my local stores, so it's definitely gaining popularity as an item. I feel like those stores should be carrying the, the bigger book as well at this point, though. Mm-hmm. So, that is that. Fair enough. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully that doesn't feel too much like a negative. It's just a warning to buy the other one. No, I think it's fair yeah. to, you know, you're putting pros and cons in there. You're not, you're not beating yeah. them up. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think that's, that's a fair, fair call. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot different. Like there's the Midgard heroes or like the heroes of Margrave, like the books that Cobalt Press mm-hmm. puts out for their player guides, or we talked about the, um, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords last week, the player's guide mm-hmm. to that. Like all of those can be standalone products of player options. This one cannot. Um, so I feel like it's worth warning folks about. Right on. Uh, let's see. John, you want to talk about Fate's End? Yeah. So this one is another one of those. I, I had the same issue last week where it was a late pledge on Kickstarter. I found it a little bit later than, than I would have liked. But luckily, getting in on the late late pledge, you don't you don't lose out on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, nice. Fate's End are, is a series of... Uh, STL files for those of out there that are not familiar with 3D printing, either resin or uh, what is it, FDL? I think is what it's called. The filament, plastic filament, essentially. Mm-hmm. If, uh, for 3D printing, these are the files that you would need to print your own dice towers. STLs, these t- yeah. STLs, yeah. And so the the um, these dice towers are absolutely gorgeous. Um, the the dice towers that I've seen out there before. Are they're fine. You know, they're they're functional. They do what they're supposed to do. These are absolutely masterworks in uh, in how how good they look. And there are a ton of them that are available. And so it's thirty eight dollars. Effectively, give gives you everything, the whole kit and the caboodle, right? And, and uh, in that uh, are there's a dice tower that's available that's designed based on every single class uh, that's in the game. Uh, then there are multiples that are based on the races that are in the game, uh, or that are in, the, in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and then the, the lucked out, as luck would have it, the one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollar final locked item uh, in the uh, the uh, stretch goals, the Drunken Dwarf Brewery, Hallelujah, uh, was actually they they made it, they made it, Elizabeth. Uh, and so it looks like they're going to have that as one of their dice towers also. And so, again, this is a, a niche thing that not everybody's doing uh, um, 3D printing and stuff like that. But if you do and if you are, then these things are absolutely gorgeous. If you've got friends that are, it may actually be in your best interest to buy. I think you can buy them individually for five bucks for the files you would need to actually print this stuff. If you find one that you love, send it to your friend, give them a couple extra bucks and then have them print them for you. They are Phenomenal. And of course, go ahead, Troy. Wind up. I'm ready. Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman uh, designed <laughs> one of these. <laughs> and so, okay, I actually found out about this because it was in uh, it was on a post that Tracy Hickman posted uh, on his Facebook page. So uh, and it looks like what they've actually designed is they designed a uh, the Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus, which is it looks it looks fantastic. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I am excited to get these. I went ahead and purchased these. We've been working with some other friends of our shows, like Thomas with the Drifters Atlas, who's a big three D printer, and uh, he's been gracious enough to uh, lend a lot of his knowledge and expertise in this stuff. So I'm really excited to get my hands on it um, and then start printing uh, and uh, and then start using them. Uh, they, they're actually they're, they're fantastic looking. 
I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they actually and they also include not just the 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 towers. There are fourteen towers that include the one that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman created. They also have uh, dice prisons. Like if your dice are bad, then they go to dice mm-hmm. jail that you can print off. They're pretty neat. Uh, monster towers, race towers, decorative towers with no dice. The whole thing in here, it's, and it's 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 great. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, shout out. I'm I'm excited about it. Very awesome. cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, so that was Fate's End. Now, uh, last thing here, uh, Catherine. Uh, Troy, you didn't necessarily mention, so we'll go ahead and kind of like do a little hype session here for Gen Con online. Yeah, yeah. Woo. Yeah, uh, just one of the you know make sure everybody knows. Gen Con Online is coming up fast. Uh, registration, event registration goes live on the 13th, correct? I think so. July 13th, I believe. Um, badge registration, I don't know. I don't know if some of you people will be able to swing it, but it's free. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't know that badge registration for Gen Con has ever been free, even when it was back in the, you know, the, the, Horticultural Hall up there up there in Wisconsin. But, I mean, <laughs> there's going to be all kinds of gaming going on. Uh, we're all going to be there now, uh, running games for Baldwin. So. Mm-hmm. Free free badge does not mean free games, just to right. be clear for folks. Right. Yep. It means, it means right. that you can get into the doors, so to speak. The virtual doors you can get into for free. But if you want to <laughs> sit down at the table and play a game, most of those are going to have a cost to talk tied to them mm-hmm. that's right that's right um, so uh, but some of those costs i think most of those costs have been reduced yeah because yeah. there's not, a, not as much overhead as, as what is usually usually there they're going to have vendors mm-hmm. i i'm really curious to to see how they have a, a dealer's hall mm-hmm. because that's always a huge draw for gen con that dealer's hall yeah how, mm-hmm. how do you do that virtually yeah i want to see i'm itching for that vendors hall even if it's virtual at this point like i've yep. gone too long without cons like i need that vendors hall um <laughs> i need my fix i even if it's just like a list of vendors and like here's a here's a discount code here's a discount code here's a discount code here's a special here's a exclusive mm-hmm. yada 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 like fine by me like let's just let give me that a little bit of that feel once this year that would be lovely mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, one hundred percent. You should you should be a part of Gen Con Online. We're all a part of Gen Con Online. It's going to be fun. Um, even if you only want to hop on for one game, reach out to one of us. We'll we'll find a spot at the table. It's really easy. Um, come play one game with us. Get a taste of a con, and then hopefully next year you can come do it in person. Like absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Good plug. Uh, Catherine's got an also a little plug here. Uh, just a little hype session. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah. So. Um... Everybody who was, well, we just finished up, at the time of recording, we just finished up last stuff for uh, Oceanic Depths and getting that all printed and starting to send that out to people and getting it out in um, in the public. Uh, so um, one of the next things that is gearing up um, over at um, Bite Size Gaming Um is going to be a Kickstarter that is essentially um, like a like a little log or or an NPC library or or villain library or whatever you choose to do with them. They're going to be 
uh, fully fleshed out dragons. Um, you know, stat blocks and layers and everything like that. Also, uh, personality traits, backstory, um, Zach found some really awesome artists to illustrate them. Um, that's, that's all I'm going to say right now because it's still, uh, what was it? About three weeks away. That that's the that's a rough approximation. Yeah. We'll have more yeah, news yeah, yeah. probably next week as far as dates and things like that, I would say. But yeah. Sorry. I, I, I'm transposing time from recording time to, oh, yeah. to airing time is, is weird. Um, but yeah, so sometime in the near future, uh, look for the Dragons Kickstarter. It's going to be super cool. Yep. Got a bunch of different writers on that too. Mm-hmm. I'll say that we yeah. we had the we had the uh, beauty of having Troy and John on our last one, um, which was an de- absolute delight. Um, <laughs> hopefully, more from them in a later date. But we got to pick up some new authors for this one that I'm really excited about. Um, to name a few, Andy Hand from Limitless Adventures is going to write a dragon is has written. A dragon for it. Um, Andrew Bashinsky from uh, Adventures League conventions across the states is writing an adventure for us, uh, our dragon for us. Um, and then we have some new folks as well. So it's going to be a really good blend. I've already seen a chunk of the dragons come in. Um, really unique designs. It's not your standard fare. You're not going to see anything in here that's going to be close in any way, shape, or form to what you find in the monster manual. Um it's bizarre to the extreme and that's the way we like it for this one. Um, <laughs> throw some at your players that they've never seen before. That's what this book is about. So, mm-hmm. um, awesome. Super cool. We'll pitch that. That's probably coming in August. We, we don't, we haven't finalized a date yet, but we'll, we'll do that in the next couple of weeks. So do you mind if I just throw out really fast, like a 30 second shout out? Oh yeah. Or three second shout out. more like, um, so, uh, there was one of the players at, um, at D&D Live, at one of my tables, um, has a small store, I guess is, you know, the online, mm-hmm. online shop. Um, I just follow her on Instagram now. Uh, it's called Saving Throw Pillows. There's just a bunch of dice, and she makes them in, in she makes pillows that look like D20s and D6s and D4s, and they look, they look real cute. And I'm gonna buy one, and you guys should buy one too. That's all. Saving throw pillows. That's, that's a D4 I wouldn't mind stepping on. <laughs> <laughs> Saving throw pillows. Awesome. Instagram and probably Etsy would be my guess. Probably. Um. Yeah, she's got a link tree. Okay. Probably Etsy. But Instagram well, is Etsy the and a website. Awesome. Definitely. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. Lovely. Well, go check out Saving Throw Pillows. That's cool. Um. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link in the. Show notes. Talk about that. Um, all right. So, to the, the main course here, John. Uh, when you threw out this topic, I'm like, "That's a cool topic." I don't. I don't hear this topic come up on a lot of uh, podcasts that I subscribe to. Um, but I think that it's really cool, really appropriate for our for our show. Um, and I'm really interested to see what you all have. to to say with regards to this. So, John, I'm handing this over to you at this point. Walk us through uh, DMs on DMs. Yeah. So, if I were to hazard saying that I had any competence whatsoever in being a DM, it's not because I just 
got good by osmosis. Mm. It's from watching other DMs ply the trade mm-hmm. and and apply the craft, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so what I'd like to talk to the three of you about and kind of I'd like to even hear some some stories from uh, from the listeners, uh, whatever medium you can you can do that with whatever level of engagement that you're able to. I'd love to hear the stories back yeah. about specifically uh, kind of twofold. Right. There's the celebrity DM that's out there, the one that we get to see in streaming on a weekly basis. Uh, but then there's the one that ha- that we've actually played with or has run a game for us. I don't really get to run play games very often it's most of the, what i do these days is actually running games but i definitely have those that um that i go back to and think if it weren't for this dm this is an element of my, of my play the way that i run games that people compliment me on or that stands out to them i wouldn't have i wouldn't have that if it weren't weren't for mm. them so although that's the wind up the pitch is or the is the question. The question is, uh, first off, we'll start. We'll take the the softball approach. We'll we'll let's talk about celebrity DMs for a second here, right? There you go. Do you have a do you any do any of you have a favorite celeb DM? What kind of constitutes what a celeb? Like let me let me rephrase that. A celebrity DM to me is one that is either in streaming form, is out in the public eye, and like your your Matt Mercer's, your Chris Perkins, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have one that you that you really like, and what is it about them that makes you gravitate towards their style, or what makes them so great in what you uh, what you see? Y'all already know. Yeah, better pick Catherine. Better pick Catherine first. She's about ready to have a conniption. She's like Catherine's been sitting there like a cat that's ready to pounce on a mouse. The shoulders are going up and down. She's in in behind the reeds and ready to attack. Go, Catherine. Go. I believe in you. So, critical role is my Dragonlance. Uh, so that's two in a row. Two on one podcast. Thank you. We're you making it for me. We'll make it for us. You're the best. You're the best. E. Um. Yeah, so I I have to say Matthew Mercer, um, and it's it's not a cop out because he's actually a real good DM um, for the kind of game that I really enjoy. Uh, he can describe things in like listening to him describe for the for example um, the first episode of the new campaign or. Campaign 2, that uh, aired, included um, Matthew describing this whole sequence of uh, circus acts. And they all, like, it was so visceral. It was so, it was so real. Like, I got excited listening to him talking about how the acrobats were doing this crazy like fancy acrobat stuff and the contortionists were doing all this weird like twisty stuff like and I was watching that and I watched it live so it's been a while now but I still remember the feeling of someday I want to be able to tell a story like that Mm. um someday I want to see the reactions that the cast members were having on my players faces because of how amazing the scene is that I have been able to you know, make up to describe for them. Um, it's it's kind of his trademark, at least one of them. Um, and and yeah, that's that's why I got into D and D in the first place is is watching 
the ability to be a true storyteller. Um, mm. Yeah. That. <laughs> that's interesting. No, oh, that's it's that's really interesting. So it's not necessarily a because a lot of the times I hear since he's a voice actor, people love the voices, right? Since they're all voice actors, that's kind of the one of the appeals to the show. Mm-hmm. To to land on on that, it sounds to me how is it immersion? Is that a, is that a way of describing yeah. it? Maybe is like you're able to, he's able to pull you directly into the scene. To where it's it's you're you're there, right? Yes. You don't need yeah. you don't need any set dressing to do it. It's it's all in your mind already. And he's able to put. Right. So what is it? What is it like? Not to spoil anything about campaign two, episode one, with the, <laughs> with the circus acrobats. Was there anything in particular that he said, or is it using words that like you don't hear on a regular basis? You know, or was it like? Because that's one thing too, right? The kind of a, a writing trick is using a mm-hmm. word that people don't use that. It, it sounds like what it is, frigid instead of cold. Sounds colder yes. than regular cold, right? So what was it, or can you even put your finger on it? Um, honestly, with that particular instance, the feeling that I remember is so strong that I don't quite remember. But throughout, the, throughout my critical role viewing ship, viewership, um, <laughs> I would say that's definitely part of it. Um, and staying away... Using everyday phrasing within the right context of, of playing an NPC, but not using everyday phrasing, everyday catchphrases, et cetera, et cetera, when you're describing something. Mm. Um, um, yeah, just making sure that it feels different than the speech that you usually hear, even if it's just the cadence of your voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pauses that you put in and, you know, speeding up and then slowing down a little bit and pulling back, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, really I haven't gotten to practice that very much <laughs> because I mostly run a server, but um, or a chat-based server. But I, I'm dying to practice some of that. Like, I think that he has little like bullet points. I don't think he has a script, but I think he has little bullet points that he keeps for certain instances and certain like encounters, etc. Of like, make sure that are, these yeah. words get in there. Make sure that this phrase mm-hmm. gets in there somewhere. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm sure something I like that. So, yeah, one hundred percent. That's awesome. Yeah. What about uh, what about Troy? Do you, do you have one that that sticks out in your mind? Oh, celebrity DM. Mm. Uh, I, uh, I kind of have two, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I Matt Mercer is awesome. I I don't watch Critical Role. I listen to it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. his ability to to make me see what he's describing as I'm driving is awesome. Sometimes dangerous because yeah. I'm seeing what <laughs> I'm seeing what he's describing and not paying attention to the road, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that is just fantastic. I mean, I can go down the list and pick something from every super well-known celebrity DM and, and give a, a kudos or a, a, I like try to pull that into my game. Um, I guess like the one, that does or has streamed, um, it would probably be, uh, Matt Colville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, there's something, there's something visceral with the way he runs and, and, and even not so much running, but just his advice, you know, mm-hmm. in his, you know, on his YouTube videos and stuff. It's just, it's a, it's a no nonsense approach. It's, we're here to have fun. We're not here for a bunch of stupid crap. 
he he describes things very well. He pulls you into the game. He's very political minded. Yep. He 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 has more of a. I this is probably not the phrase that I want to use, but I'm going to use it anyway. Kind of more of a high minded approach to his campaigns, where it's you're thinking on a he's thinking on a different level than I do when I run my games. He's thinking on you know. What are the, what are the kings and the queens and the rulers and the dukes and the barons doing all over the region, mm-hmm. and then filters down? Generally speaking, I don't think, especially if you're running, you know, no offense to the to the D and D modules that have been the books that have come out. Um, I don't feel like those get to that level of high mindedness. You know, it's always it's always more street level or more more regional level kind of. It's not political intrigue the action the action in almost every other scenario and every other campaign and every stream is the action is player focused exclusively um or if any other focus is had it's the villain right like the villain might be doing things behind the scenes and the players but that's about it and colville has this you said it perfectly he has this brilliant mind that can keep track of all the maneuverings and all the 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 needs wants and desires of all the people in power and he is always on the lookout for what the players are doing that would influence those things but also just keeping in mind that things happen without the players involvement yes and 100% it makes a world where you have to in in my mind at least if you're going to play in one of his games you have to invest yourself in his world or the world will outsmart you yes mm-hmm. yes because i mean i when he talks about his campaign diary and stuff, you know, we just played this session, you know, last week and there's always like little nuggets in there of this overarching storyline that the, that the players or the characters have no real idea as to what's going on. It's affecting them. Yeah. And it sometimes controls what they can and can't do. And it's like, I, that's just kind of, to me, that's just awesome. Yeah. Um, the one, the other, the other DM that, I consider him a celebrity DM because he's a game designer and he's worked on several editions of D and D. And he is also the creator of, if it weren't for fifth edition D and D, this is the game that I would be playing. And that's Mm. shadows of the demon Lord. Mm -hmm. And the, and the, and the creator's name is Rob Schwalb. Mm -hmm. And another, another Murfreesboro native, by the way. Yes, exactly. Murfreesboro. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Um, so the so the talent you're saying the talent pond is pretty thin since he's already down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what I'm saying. Uh, I'm pretty much on the shoreline. <laughs> you're on the shoreline. Okay. Anyway, anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm flopping like a cod in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I got the pleasure to uh, play or yeah play in one of Rob's Shadows of the Demon Lord adventures, ran by him at a Winter Fantasy a few years ago, mm-hmm. and. I don't think I've ever played in a game where I was more thrilled, terrified, uh, felt dirty. (laughs) I mean, it it was so... The things that we were encountering and the things that we were going up against was just... It was like something out of uh, a a horror movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, like Wes Craven wrote this stuff or something. You're just, 
it was it freaked me out. I felt like I needed to go to church and take a shower at the same time. <laughs> but it was it was an absolute blast. And I mean, when you get done, you're kind of you're a little sweaty. You kind of get up from the table. You're like, "Woo, that was woo." Had had to shake it out a little bit. Had to run outside in, in that cold Indiana February breeze kind of thing. But yeah, he. I I don't know how he does it because honestly, I don't think he wrote the adventure down. I think he was making it all up as we went. I don't know. He didn't have anything in front of him. <laughs> it just, but Still. it was all, yeah, it was all, it was very cohesive. It it it, uh, it all made sense. The story flowed. It was disturbing. It was fun. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was great. And I, I really don't know what I can say as far as what would I like to pull from Rob's, uh, talent pool there, because it's hard to just, it's hard for me to tear it apart, you know, to, to, to dissect it, to figure out what, what it was. It was just, it was, it was an awesome experience. So I would encourage anybody that goes to any cons that, uh, Rob Schwab is going to be at, whether online or in person, and he will definitely be running games of Shadows of the Demon Lord or its other iterations. If you can, get into one of those tables because mm. it is quite the experience. Sweet. Nice. Awesome. Well, Zach, that leaves you. Well, you, you, you yourself as well, but... Um... Well, yeah, I mean, not, uh, no cop out. I <laughs> so, so uh, I have to do a couple. I'll, I'll call them runner ups, but um, Jason Carl um, is one of my runner ups. He runs uh, the Vampire the Masquerade stuff. He runs their main show, and he runs some of the one offs. Jason Carl is the man, and the only reason he's not my choice here is because I'm trying to make a and D choice since that was kind of the pitch, right? We're saying dungeon master, not um, storyteller or whatever. Um, but Jason Carl knows how to tell a story and he knows how to set a tone. And he's knows he understands the tone of the players at his table, which I think is a huge thing. Because if you watch like his different shows, whether it's, you know, um, uh, LA by night or something like a one-off like um, Seattle by night, he can read the table and say, oh, this is going to be a little bit more lighthearted. No problem. The players here want that. I can make it that. Or, oh, this is these players are serious role players. I can give them that. Um, the man is brilliant. Um, he's not he's not an actor by trade, at least in my opinion, but he, he knows how to weave a story together and get people invested in it. So point to him. Um, my second point is going to be Jeremy Crawford as a runner-up, just because the man is also a storyteller and he's super evocative uh, with his descriptions and things. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I love Master Mercer. I think that Jeremy Crawford is the better Master Mercer. Um, just I think they have a similar style, and Jeremy Crawford has just a, a, a modicum more oomph in that category. That being said, Mercer's amazing. Um, my favorite, though, is going to be uh, Jerry Holkins from Penny Arcade. Oh, yeah. You bastard, you stole mine. Uh, well, <laughs> I, was thinking, no, I was thinking nobody's going nobody's gonna to go no, with this no, one. No, All right, I, go ahead. Go, we'll, go. we'll share it here. Um, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's. Uh, 
<laughs> Jerry is, I have been a fan of Penny Arcade for well over a decade. Mm. Um, Jerry is my best friend, and um, I've only met him a handful of times. Um, that's how I feel about Jerry. Um, Jerry is a wordsmith um, with, with no peer. Um, that's one thing that I hold in high regard. You talked, uh, Catherine or, or John, you talked about, you know, those words that frigid instead of cold. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry would probably find or have a word that's that's even more specific than frigid to use in that mm. instance, right? Um, so I love him for that. I also love him for the joy and enthusiasm that he brings to his games. Mm. Um, he is unashamedly invested in the content that he brings to the table every week. And, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like his games that if you like watch one of his streams or whatnot, I don't think that his games are the best games out there as far as entertainment wise. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, I, I don't see how you can't listen to him describe something, describe a scene, uh, describe an NPC, engage an encounter and not walk away smiling because he, you can tell like he's doing the exact thing that he loves right then and there. Uh, he couldn't be happier being anywhere else. So uh, he's my absolute favorite. I don't know why he's your favorite, John, but that's me. Uh, I actually, I'm gonna, I'm going to do my best, Jerry, right now, and I'm gonna try to, to use, I'm gonna try to wordsmith something here. He is the Conan on his crown, uh, on his throne of iron of DMs, and by by that I mean there is a level of ease and like comfort and relaxation that he has in it, while there's still a re- there's a lot of energy kind of to your, to your point. He's like, he's very invested and he's, there's so much energy in the, in the story and, and making it work. But he, he was able to do it to such a degree. And he's, it's such a practiced skill to him that he, he makes it look effortless yes. when he does it. And then, and again, one of the things that I love about his style is also the, the, the player involvement in weaving the story. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not just his story that he owns, but it is, there is room to breathe, yeah. right? And there's more than enough room for everyone at the table to get involved and to have as much, as many, as many table stakes, right? As many stakes in the game at the, at the table. And he's funny. You know, like, he's I, funny. I love, I mean, it's, again, I, I may, I may myself fall into the, the, the pit of horror and, and, and uh, terror sometimes, but he really knows how to play or how to run a fun game. In, in, in the games that he's run. One of the techniques that he uses that I have not seen really much anyone else use. And and I feel like I've tried to capture and implement into my game to a modicum of success is the idea of taking control of two things. Taking control of a character to, to give them a moment. Mm-hmm. Right? Um... He's not afraid to understand who your character is and say, you interact in this small way, this way, right? Mm-hmm. And give you that moment to craft that little story beat that's hyper memorable and then give it back to you to, to continue on from there. It's nothing major. He's not, he doesn't decide things for his players, but he's happy to say like, oh, you let, got us to this part. Let me, let me, let me give you this little tiny uh, like, like this is a dumb example, but like 
you know, if there's a, if you, if you describe it's like Bilbo, like when Bilbo climbs into the top of the trees and he sees all the butterflies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be afraid to take your character of Bilbo and say, you extend your hand out and like, it, you ah. know, 18 butterflies come and mm-hmm. land on your hand and, mm-hmm. you know, you hold it there for a second and, you know, you know, kind of breathe in that moment and let you as a player sit back and watch your own character kind of bask in the mm-hmm. story, the um, which I really right. like. And then the other thing that he does that's a brilliant technique is the pan away from the party um, where he says, okay, and he actually describes it as the camera lifts off the party and travels somewhere else. And you see a different scene and you see this thing that maybe the party missed, maybe it's happening to the side, maybe it's a consequence of the party's actions, but it's, it's again, this idea of we're telling a story and the, and when you're telling a story on a in a book or in a, a film or something, it's not always hyper focused on these people. There's mm-hmm. moments where we get to see the things, the context around them. Jerry does an amazing job with that. I didn't think that that was a thing that you could do until he he proved that it was possible. So, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that about pulling away and doing something else. I have a I have a character in my or player in my Friday games that I've done that with recently who has a very selfish, chaotic, neutral character, which is fine. And it's not necessarily a punishment, but he gave me a character that he wanted to have growth. And in order to help him find some of the growth, he has night nightmares, right? Or they've, they've become nightmares. But essentially what they start out as, uh, he's a rogue, and he just starts pilfering and pickpocketing anybody's pockets in the middle of town that... <laughs> that, that, that's within arms <laughs> arms reach. So what ha- what I've done is I've I'll do cutaways where it's mm-hmm. like, all right, you do that, and you run off along your merry way. All right, so now let me tell you this this person's name, and let me tell you what you stealing from them did to them. He was a baker, <laughs> and he owned a very successful business, and uh, that money was going to be used towards da 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 da, and now it doesn't, and now it's it's caused this cascade effect that has ruined his life, and now he's in the like. So it's I've. I didn't do anything to him, but I did. I'm trying to show what the the ramifications of character actions are outside of that. Yeah. So I do appreciate it. that's a good point about Jerry. I didn't even think about that until yeah. Now. He the other the thing that I love about it is that it clues the players in on plot points, plot arcs that their characters mm-hmm. couldn't know to help them feel yeah. more like the stakes are building or something. When you get it's like when when in um man we're just stealing. I'm stealing from all of Tolkien today. But um, in, the t- in the fellowship, rightfully so, right? Don't we all right when you, in the fellowship where you get that, especially in the film where you get that moment with Saruman, where he's like, you know, uh, we have work to do, and you see him like ripping up the trees and and despoiling Isengard, right? Mm-hmm. And and as a viewer, that raises the stakes. You know that that forces of evil are are growing and they're expanding and they're getting closer. And if you didn't see that, then then it would always the threat would always be distant for that entire first movie. And mm-hmm. I think the same can be true with your party, where you 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 pan over to something that they had no chance of seeing, or that they just missed, and you say, ah, "But you need to see this because this 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 builds something up in yourself. It puts your heart in your chest, and then it puts it in your throat." Um, as as you realize how close you are to this inevitable doom or whatever, um, uh, so yeah, and that's a Jerry thing. I think that at least that's mm-hmm. where I got it. So yeah, that's awesome. Nice. All right, so let's. I don't want to. 
we've that's I think that's a pretty good stopping spot for the celeb side of thing. But yeah, I, yeah. I want to make sure that we give love to to those that have been that we've crossed paths with paths with either that we played in home games with and mm-hmm. shared their company of hearth and fellowship, or if it was at a convention. Like, uh, let's talk about the the un the undersung heroes uh, that aren't on streams and podcasts and such. Yeah, who yeah. is it? Uh, who is it in your that you've crossed paths with? That's a, that's a norm. Yeah, that is that has influenced not just is a great DM, but also influenced you. And how did they influence you? What is the thing that you got from them that you carry in your games now? You're like, this made me a better DM for sure. I'll Zach, jump in. What, you got yeah. One? yeah, go for it. I, so, so I like a lot of people's styles, and I, I am going to abstain. I, not intentionally, but I think unintentionally, I abstained from anybody that I've played with recently or currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I love them, I think that there's time kind of settles things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the one that I ended up settling on was I'll just call him Mark. Um, one of my early DMs, um, uh, one of the people that introduced me to this hobby, um, he had he had he, he had a story first mentality, but he also had and the thing that I, I think I took away from him in this regard is accepting that it was a game and it could be kept simple. Mm. Um, it didn't need to be anything extreme to to tell a cool story it didn't need to be something that you sunk 80 hours in a week to to come to the table with something quality um there was a sincerity about his games that i don't think took a whole lot of work on the back end and to me when 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 i played in those games i'm like oh this is something that i want to emulate um it's it's not a matter of not caring about the game. Mark cared very much about the game, cares very much about the game. But but he understood that the point of the game was that we were all sitting around the table sharing an experience. Um, and he allowed it to be just that. And mm-hmm. uh, at least that's my memory. I haven't played with him in years. Uh, we've moved away and, and, and gone our separate ways in that respect. But um, I really appreciated that, that side of him. It's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Catherine, what about you? Um, this is hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have one favorite DM. Um, I am going to do the opposite of Zach. And <laughs> for one of the, for one of them, mention somebody that I know. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to brown nose real hard. Um, Zach, I really enjoy being part of your campaign. Oh, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I enjoy the balance that you are able to maintain of um, story beats and letting us create our own, you know, feel like we get to play our characters as much as we want to and also keeping the plot moving forward. And I also appreciate that uh, you were able to read the table and be like, hey, we might want to switch gears here. Like, that's a that's really cool. And um, and I have, especially the balance portion, I've like learned a little bit from you to be like, okay, sometimes you got to roll it along. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, 
is good stuff. So that's my first one. Um, yeah. The second one is, um, is actually, uh, a DM I've probably mentioned before. Uh, I'll just use his Instagram name, got DM. Um, lots of crazy stuff going on with his campaign, but I really, really love how freaking immersive it is. Um, well, it was. He's doing a different one now. But, hmm. uh, and it's going to be just as immersive and uh, almost community driven, hmm. I guess is the best way to describe it. It's something that aspect of his, of the campaign I got to be a part of on his server is something that I am working up to the point that I can emulate in my own way on my own server. Mm. Um, it's, there are like four or five different ways, but I'll just say community driven and immersive, uh, world and campaign. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right on. And that's, that's a awesome. server based one. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. like that's, that's interesting to me in the step that like I haven't done with a lot of immersive, uh, uh, discord or whatever campaigns. Um, so it's, I love the fact though, that, you're giving recognition to a DM who does no vocal work, who does no maps, who does no, I'm assuming, um, who, who doesn't run on a VTT and doesn't have all the, you know, Mm -hmm. XYZ purchased, who's Mm -hmm. coming to the table literally with text. Um, and I think that's a cool, like, I appreciate that they're getting some attention in this discussion. Yeah. Um, I will say he does, he does, a little bit like he has some maps and it's like he has one really detailed map mm. um and and stuff but the the special effects are very sparing mm-hmm. he's a huge crafter and he uses the crafts and stuff but his game is not made any better or worse because of the mini terrain he has on the table gotcha it's well virtual table it's it's the whole community driven and text Etc. aspect that makes it that sets it apart and it could survive without without anything else awesome right on mm-hmm. I love that Troy let's hear it what do you got alright I'm, I'm sticking with my, my rule of two uh, <laughs> my I, I probably you know first I would I'd like to give a shout out to probably my first real DM um, it is We'll call him Eric. Um, he <laughs> he just had this ability to, you know, he'd start the story and just kind of go with it. And he, there were times that it seemed like he would throw us into situations. And he would have no idea how we're going to get out. And it was, it was on us. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if he would do that on purpose, if he just wasn't thinking that far ahead, but he would, I mean, he was committed to it. He would, he would put us in a situation and it was just kind of like, we would all look at each other like, oh crap, we are all going to die. What do we do? And this was back in second edition days. So we're like, you know, rifling through our, our lists of magic items and, and things that we have in our backpacks and, and, you know, just pulling stuff out of our butt. And we, we we would survive, and it would just be like, oh man! So where did you come up with that? Like, oh, I just thought of it right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't know how you guys were gonna live, but you know, 
You did, so that's cool. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, it was just, it was just crazy. Very cavalier. So I, very very cavalier <laughs> about it, and so I, I appreciate the fact that you know it was a game. I mean, it, it was it was you know a huge part of our lives, but you know, hey, it's a game. If your character dies, make another one. You know, mm-hmm. and and so that was kind of that was fun. Uh, the other one is uh, my, my good friend Curtis who uh, is actually playing in my game, two of my games uh, currently. Hmm. Um, and he he's just fun. He, he comes up with fun NPCs, even if they don't have a background. Or he'll turn something into an NPC that we want to visit again. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Brother Falcon Moon, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and and then every once in a while they'll pop back up in in a different game or a different campaign and it's like oh my gosh that's awesome um but, but kudos to him for pulling one over on me for over a year Ooh. yes story goes uh i'm playing a warlock a tiefling warlock fourth this fourth edition um i was wrongfully accused of murdering my teacher, my wizard teacher, escaped from the the wizard college and was turned into a warlock against his will. Oh. And it, because I was trying to feed into, you know, give him plot hooks that he could use and dangle and things like that. So I did that and I was like, and I, and I know they're probably going to send people after me. And uh, another friend uh, who also plays in one of my current games um, was playing a paladin in the same campaign. And his paladin hated my tiefling with a passion (laughs) and just would like poke at me, poke at me, poke at me, trying to get me to do something. Just poke at me. It was to the point where after we would play, I'd go over to, I'd go by Curtis's house and we'd sit there and talk and I'd be like, dude, did I, did I do something to Brett? It, why, why is he treating my character like this constantly? I mean, mm. I was actually starting to get uh, a, a complex over the whole thing. I was even like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take this character out. I'm going to start up a new character, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Cause it was just, it was just freaking me out so bad. Um, we go to Gen Con one year, playing these same characters, had a friend show up, played an old friend of mine from school, said, dude, the Inquisitors are getting close to you. It, They're hot on my heels, at least. I'm here to warn you. We come back from Gen Con, so I'm finally like, you know what, I'm done. I have this big, long speech. I We get to the table, it's like, okay, uh... Moloch tells you that you know he cannot put the rest of this group in danger anymore. The Inquisitors are coming. If you're if you're associating with me, that puts you in danger. I cannot do that to you because the Inquisitors are coming. Brett is sitting right next to me, and he goes, "No, the Inquisitor has been here the whole time." And I'm like, oh gosh. I look at Brett and I'm like, Haha, yeah, whatever. And I look over at Curtis and Curtis is like, 
<laughs> and it's like, wait, what? You've, oh my you've gosh. Been the, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so for over a year, and they started this day one of the campaign, and I had no clue. Nobody did. Everybody at the table is just like going, what? But as of that moment right there, me willing to leave and go on my own to save the rest of the group won the paladin over, and he pledged his sword to my defense. Wow. That's cool. I mean, it was it was just a huge mind blow. And I'm like, how, how did you pull this off? <laughs> so I, I have got so to he, give it up. He M. Night Shyamalan you. That's what you're saying. He M. Night Shyamalan me, like Sixth Sense M. Night Shyamalan me, not the happening uh, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan me. Let me, uh, you got to preface that. The twists um, are yeah. hard. Twists are oh, really, it was, really hard. It was unbelievable. In. And it's still, we people still talk about that story. They, they will True. still talk about how they kept that from me the whole time. That's awesome. It was good stuff. Yeah, so I've got yeah, man. I've got I've got I've got two also. I, I've I've thought a lot about a lot about this since I kind of opposed this question, um, and uh, two really close friends of mine. Uh, one guy I've known since I want to say like eighth grade, um, Brian. And the thing that about Brian that I love is that Brian he has played so much other stuff other than Dungeons and Dragons. And that has made him a better DM because not only is it not just because of the mechanical, you know, finagling and kind of the off the cuff stuff that comes from having your hands in different mechanics and different engines and things like that, making it better, but he's not afraid to go weird and go outside <laughs> of the box when it comes to, you know, D and D tropes, typical D and D tropes. Uh, one, one like to your point, right? The 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 M Night moment that I got with him was uh, I, I played a character that had been dead the entire time, um, <laughs> and but the sto- the, the that was that never never really got to come to fruition because we had to end the the story too soon, honestly. Aww. But what was so great though is the game that he ran. He ran it was a uh, a dwarf hunter that had been in like in the jungles of chalt for a years and he was like, like a big game hunter came back to uh the sword coast and we met up with him and we were trying to figure out what was like the, this mystery of what was killing villagers and we knew from a meta perspective we knew that it was some kind of a were creature we knew it was but we had to play dumb and we had to do the research and it kind of drew things out a bit and you know mm-hmm. do all that kind of stuff and but what ended up happening was it was a dwarf, right? So, of course, I naturally think that he's co- totally trustworthy and the best. And uh, <laughs> until until it turns out that he was a were-tiger the entire time. And had gotten cool. bitten by a were-tiger during his hunting in, in Chult, in the jungles of Chult. And his butler or manservant was a werewolf that he had. So he had sacrificed. He had he'd intentionally had him contract lycanthropy so that they could be in in, in uh, cahoots with one another, right? So it's another one. It's like the, the switcheroo, the betrayal 
of that moment was so it was so good and i deserved every ounce of misery from it because it just <laughs> i told it totally took me off off guard and i still love it so brian again brian comes up with really really great uh really great character concepts that he he'll you know he'll he's not afraid to steal some concepts from other forms of media of game video games and things like that but what he's able to do with them is create craft these incredibly interesting character concepts for NPCs and for players really. But yeah, go weird. Brian oh. Brian can go weird. He's I mean between uh, Deadlands and Vampire, he he's introduced me to so much stuff too, right? Oh. So that's the other thing too is like God, he is constantly pushing me. Stop just playing D&D. You've got to play this other game over here. Play you know, play uh what is it uh a play we talked about a couple of weeks ago about um the um the the superhero where the super uh, superheroes all die and it's all the super vil- the supervillains and the sidekicks are the only ones that are left to defend humanity right the mm-hmm. necessary evil he's like you've got to play this game like, ah, I like D and D that's my wheelhouse play this game and it made me better by him pushing me outside of a truck yeah, yeah, definitely and yeah. picking up some other mm-hmm. stuff so that's yes. definitely where I got I got that from Brian was don't be afraid to to walk outside of the norm go weird right another friend of mine Eck um is he's just a really good dm straight up right but one of the things that he t- what he taught me that is absolutely invaluable is don't f- be afraid terrifying your players in the story and um in the like g- kind of things getting gruesome and dark and all that stuff that's one thing what all, what really terrifies your players is not rolling behind a dm screen mm-hmm. rolling out in the open and mm. saying you know what the dice are going to land the way that they land and if that means you're dead and that means you're dead, right? And so there's like him, him intentionally de-obfuscating and creating this level, this layer of transparency. There was, there was always an element in, in, of risk in every single role that he made because there was never a punch that was pulled. The dice right. were unforgiving or they were gracious, right? But at the same time, as brutal as that may sound, uh, a fantastic example with him was... I had heard about the tomb, the tomb of horrors, but I'd never actually played it. I didn't really, I didn't know enough about it at the, this was back in fourth edition even, right? I'd played D and D for years, decades even. And, but I'd never actually knew the story about what a meat grinder it is. It's just their intent to intentionally murder as many characters as you have in your, yes. in your Rolodex. And so <laughs> I made the mistake of, I need a break from this three year game that had been been running. It's like, I just need a break. Let me let me play for a little bit. And would you mind running Tomb of Tomb of Horrors with all of these players, <laughs> these characters we've been playing with for three years? Let me hand this over to you. To to Eck, who does not pull punches. I was it was such a mistake because it literally as soon as we walked through the portal that kind of like leads us to the tomb, there was he I knew that some that we were in some serious trouble because he would go, okay, so so and so walks through. Cool. Why don't you walk outside me with, with me really quick? And he would walk outside the door. They'd be gone for two minutes. He'd come back inside, and he goes, "All right, who else wants to go in? Anybody? Yep. You? Cool. All right, come on outside with me." And they were gone. And by the time we all like, whenever the last person went in through the portal, you come in, and it's this just landscape of of murder. Like they're. Oh. So and so is dead, and literally, we walk through the portal, and in that first encounter on the other side, total party wipe. Three three years with these characters, total party wipe. Oh my gosh, I can't but, believe you went. 
Good. I go can't ahead. believe you went. I need a break. Let's play two of fours. <laughs> well, I didn't. Have you I met didn't. John? Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you have. You have now. Um, well, I, I just didn't. Fair. I didn't know. And what? Well, the, and they tried to tell me. Like the whole, all the whole group. They're all vet players, and they they knew about it. Like, but I thought, oh, it's fourth. It's fourth edition, man. They're not going to kill we us on that. It's just like this is like the though this is the wimp verse. It's like four hours for one encounter. This is not a big ah. Well, we'll be fine. It's like fourth edition, right? Okay. And so the good thing what Eck taught me in that though again is not only it's okay to be brutal sometimes and create real risk, real consequences, consequences for the things that you do, but it's also it's okay to like have a grace moment where everybody says, okay, whoa, whoa, okay. So that didn't go the way that anybody wanted it to. So. You know what? I think that it's fair for all of us to sit here and kind of talk about what happened. Do a quick postmortem, literally a postmortem on everybody's Ooh. over everybody's corpses, and say, "Let's do a mulligan, right? Let's do this a little bit different. Let's go prepped in a little bit differently. Maybe I'll adjust the encounters a little bit, or you know, kind of like what are we wanting to get out of this thing instead of just you know a murder fest? What do we want to get out of it? And then then doing again." Doing a mulligan. And it worked out really, really well. And it also went, worked really well because Brian came in with... He actually sidelined his main character of three years and came in with a total ringer. It was like all he was about was getting through the Tomb of, uh, the tomb of Horrors. That's the only <laughs> thing that character was there for, right? And he was like our anchor that kept us from getting killed throughout the entire experience. So, I mean, like I've got, there, I've got oh really gosh. great examples in those guys. I learned a, a ton from them. So awesome. props to them. Yep. Delicious. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. I, I love that. I love hearing about everybody else's experience with other DMs. And I think that they deserve the accolades and the, oh, the kudos for, you know, I, I'm as good as I am, whatever that means. It wouldn't have been without Eck and Brian and, and everybody else that came before the good and the bad, honestly. For sure. Whew. Well, John, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, bringing this topic to our to our table here. I love it. Um, Thank it you. was a great, great uh, little extended episode for everyone, oh. uh, but that's okay because we wanted to give uh, uh, props where props are due, and and that meant going a little long today. But mm-hmm. uh, wrapping things up here, let's see. Um, we need to cover a couple things. First off, I'll just reiterate Gen Con from before. Put that back into people's mind. Get online. Get on Gen Con online. Get a yeah. badge. Play some games. It's free. Uh, yeah. yes. yes. Come to the table. That's the right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Also, Mother Load <laughs> drops. Um, actually, it Ooh. has dropped. This I think Ooh. this episode releases on the fifteenth, if I'm not mistaken, um, or close mm-hmm. to it. Um, so that. We are we are into the mother load, and we would love your support. It's going to be awesome. It is awesome. Um, I didn't mention this last week, but this module has been play tested. It will it's going to be plus play tested two and a half times before it comes to you. So um, this is not. We believe in this product because it has proven itself. I'll put it that way. Um, people yeah. have have enjoyed playing it, and we've enjoyed running it. So I think that I can say with confidence that you will do the same. Um, Catherine mentioned as well, look for, um, we really have a two for one, uh, Kickstarters launching in the next few weeks because we have Motherload now. We'll have a dragon Kickstarter coming in a few weeks. Definitely keep your eye out for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. That one's just going to be PDF only. Um, so the good news about that is that it's going to be super cheap. So, um, there's no excuse. You will love it and it will not break the bank. 
definitely check that out. Um, like us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Um, we post a lot of things there. We post a lot of announcements, uh, products, different things like that that we find exciting and interesting. Um, you should definitely give those a look. Anything else I'm forgetting, guys? I think that covers covered it. it. Okay, cool. Well then, uh, for myself, Zach, thank you to John, thank you to Troy, thank you to Catherine for hanging out once again for another episode of Bite Size Gaming. And until next week, we'll see y'all later. Have a good night, guys. Keep gaming. Hold on. <laughs>